those of you who know me, you know that I grew up in Missouri on a farm. The house that I grew up on was on a dirt road, didn't even have gravel, just two dirt tra- tire tracks with grass in the middle. Uh, there was a 40-acre pasture out behind our house, and I was always out there playing as a boy. If my dad didn't have chores for me to do, I had my plastic machine gun out there, and I was fighting the commies. Uh, I was in Vietnam fighting Charlie. Uh, as a boy, I know that dates me, but, you know, um, that's what it was. And I knew, I knew every tree and stick and dirt hole and creek and cow and snapping turtle in that pasture. Uh, I was always out there with my brothers. We were sliding in the dirt or riding our bikes or jumping in the creek or fishing in the pond or whatever it was. You really would know me better if you knew that piece of land because it was so formative in who I was the first 18 years of my life. Um, I was always just running around there on my bike pretending it was a motorcycle or something. The land became a part of me and, and I'm a part of it. And my kids and my nephew are our sixth generation of Sarah's family to live in this valley. And uh, when, you, when a family lives in a place that long and, and farms and it, the land is part of our family and the family is, is part of this valley in a way that uh, unless you've lived in a place for that many generations and that long, you might not understand. There, I know that all of you have a place that formed you in some way, a place you have fond memories of. Maybe it was just a particular house or a bedroom or a spot in the woods, grandma's house, I don't know, a place that meant something to you that was positive and good and safe and loving and it formed you in who you are. And the people that were there and the events that happened were positive and good and that place means something and I want you to know this morning that places mean something to God, that this book is full of place names that don't make any sense to us because they're in a different language on the other side of the world and like, I don't know where these places are and what they look like and what they mean, but they mean something to God because he put them in his eternal word. Every single story in this book is about people who did an event at a place. Seriously. At this place, these people did this thing. That's the Bible. God, place matters to God and we have these Places that show up in God's memories over and over again, like the promised land. Hello? Land means something to God. It it, it was very important to him. Jerusalem, uh, Mount Moriah where Abraham offered Isaac and then later God offered his son because Calvary is the same mountain. Bethlehem and Bethany and Calvary and the upper room. There's places in Scripture where world-changing, history-defining events happened, and the place where it happened matters, and it keeps coming up in God's Word and His memory. The Bible says that God loves Jerusalem more than any other place in the world, and that Mount Zion, where the temple is, is God's favorite mountain. That's where His heart is, the Bible says, that His heart is in Jerusalem. wonder why there's so much competition for it, because it is the place that God loves. And so whether you are a transplant like me to this valley or a sixth generation or fifth like my wife, I think most of you probably who live here, you probably understand what it means to love a place because people in this valley tend to love this valley. I've never heard anybody who lives here say, I hate this place. Most generally, people are pretty fond of it. People who come from the big city move here, they hate being isolated, but eventually they don't want to go back to the city. 
but the people here love this valley, love this place. But even if you were from another place, there are people who love their city. They love the night streets in the city. There's people who love their island or, or whatever, wherever it is they're from. You know what it's like to, live a, to love a place. And, and it's the way God talks too about places and land. We're going to start in Genesis 12. I'm going to tell you this Bible story, but it's going to apply to you in the end of it. So just hang with me. I know many of you are very familiar with this story, but some of you don't know it at all. So we're going to start in Genesis 12. The Lord says to Abram, come out from your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. The man Abraham lived in his younger years in what is now northern Iraq. God is calling him out and he says, I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to take you to a land I'm going to give you. I'm not going to tell you where it is until you get there, but come out. I have land for you. I have a place for you. I have a home for you. Today in this message, land, place, and home all mean the same thing, okay? It's, it's God's promise for you, what God has for you. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who cur- bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and he took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew. Uh, Abraham's brother had died early on in life, and so Lot doesn't have a dad, and so Abraham brings him along. And all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So the land of Canaan is today is the country of Israel. God moved them over between the Jordan River and the uh, Mediterranean Sea, and Abraham settles there. Moving on to the next chapter... Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. These people are nomadic herders in the desert. They are moving around with their goats and sheep, and if you've seen pictures of the Holy Land, you know it is very barren and dry. There are places where there's sagebrush and grass. There's places where it's so hot and dry and rocky that it's not even that. I mean, it's worse than Durkee and Huntington. And some of these places, there's just nothing but rock and dirt. Um, but they're following their goats around, and Lot has too many animals, and Abram has too many animals, and their shepherds get in a fight. So and Abram says to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, because my herdsmen and your herdsmen, we are family. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. So Lot looked at all the river plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Remember that. I want to point that out. We'll come back to it later. Lot picks the green grass down by the river. I want the nice place. That's where I want to go. And so Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram went west into the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. All the land which I, you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Abraham is sitting in this rocky, dry, desert scrub, and God says, Abraham, look, all the land in every direction I give to you and your family. Abraham could have said, well, thanks a lot, God, but I'm going back to Ur where there's civilization and cities and commerce and wealth and people speak my language and 
and I'm, I'm going back home. I didn't journey all this way to live in a desert. Hello? But he stays where God told him. He says, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I will give it to you. So Abraham lives in the desert, follows his sheep and goats around. The story goes on. If you don't know it, I just have to do it really brief here. Uh, he has no children. He's getting old. His wife says, Sarah says, obviously I'm barren. You need to take the slave girl, Hagar. She will bear you a child. He takes Hagar, one of his slave girls, and she bears him his firstborn son, Ishmael. Thirteen years later, at the age of 90, God does a miracle with Sarah's body, and she conceives a child at 89 years old, and at 90 she gives birth to Isaac, who was the son that God had promised them. So Ishmael is 13 years old, Isaac is a newborn baby, and at some point in the story here, Sarah comes in and finds Ishmael being mean to him, and Sarah blows up and gets mad, and she says to Abraham, you send Hagar and that boy away, he's not going to be mean to my son. So we come to Genesis 21. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to her and the boy and to Hagar and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs and then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. And she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and give him, hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. So God was with the boy, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. The story goes on with Ishmael as he, father, he grows up father's 13 sons, God says, I'm going to bless him and take care of him because he's Abraham's son. But he's not the son of promise. He's not the son of the holy family, the line of Jesus. Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the son who's going to inherit all of Abraham's property and his blessing and his inheritance. So Ishmael, God saves his life in the desert um, and saves Hagar's life. But Isaac is the one who stays home and works with dad, and Isaac grows up and becomes a man, and then we get to Genesis 26. And it said, Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Every farmer would love to get a hundred times back what he planted in the ground. That just doesn't happen. That's miraculous. So there's a miracle here that crops would grow at all in this land, but then the fact that God gives him a miraculous multiplication in his harvest in the land that God gave his father that looked like desert, looked like there was nothing, was the land of Isaac's prosperity. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Abraham and Isaac were probably, I've heard Bible scholars say, that probably the richest people in the world at that time because of the blessing of God, even though they were just nomadic herdsmen, and it wasn't riches of money. They would have had gold and silver and jewelry and things like that, but it was riches of animals and agricultural prosperity and then the servants that went along with that. So Isaac prospers in the land that God assigned to Abraham. Isaac grows up, has his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob grows up and has his 12 sons, of which one is Joseph. And Joseph 
you know, uh, brags a little bit to his brothers, and his brothers hate him. So they beat him up. They lie to some slave traders passing through on a camel caravan. They say, this guy's our slave. We want to sell him to you. So they sell their own brother as a slave. He ends up in the land of Egypt. The story is too long for me to tell. If you don't know it, you can read this all in Genesis. But eventually, 40 years later, Jacob and all of the 11 other brothers end up in Egypt bowing before Joseph. Joseph ends up as Pharaoh's right-hand man living in the palace. And so Jacob and all of Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt and live. And Joseph, as he's dying on his deathbed, he makes his sons promise, when you leave this land and go back to Grandpa Isaac's farm, you take my bones with you because I want to go home. I haven't been home since I was 17. Home matters. Having a place that is yours that God gave you, that you have a place where you know you belong, that there's a home that is safe, that's where you have heritage and you have roots, and it matters so much that you have a place that's yours. And so, for the next 400 years, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's family lives in Egypt, and eventually they get made into slaves of the Egyptians, and uh, God hears their prayer for deliverance, and he sends Moses to come and say, I'm going to take you back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's land, the promised land. I'm going to take you back. I'm going to give you the land. Now, it's 600 years after he told Abraham it's going to be your land. He said, but I'm going to do it now in your generation. I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to take you back to your family heritage land. And this is what God says about it from Deuteronomy 6. So it will be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says this about the land. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, a flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. Sounds like the Grand Ron Valley. A land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he is bringing you to. Amen. Amen. So, we get the whole story of Moses and the plagues, and they go through the Red Sea, and they wander through the desert that is now Saudi Arabia, and they arrive at the Jordan River. God says, oh, I can't wait to give you this land. It's going to be awesome. You're just, life is going to be so good. I'm providing all this for you. When you move into the land, you won't even have to build houses because they're already there, and the farms are already planted. And Moses and the Israelites, this is a great idea. Let's send some spies in to spy out the land. Joshua and Caleb and 10 other spies go into the land, and this is their report. Numbers 13, they brought back word to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land, and they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and truly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. It took two men to carry out one cluster of grapes. Two men with a stick on their shoulders, one cluster of grapes. It was such fertile land. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, And moreover, we saw giants there. If the fruit is giant, the people are going to be giant. 
God is excited to give them this great place. But because there's giants there, uh, no thanks God, we'll, we'll live in the desert. For 600 years, God has been excited about this gift, and they chicken out. I don't know if we know anybody like that. Probably not. Probably nobody like that in this room. God has promises, and you're scared to do it. Uh We'll see. We'll get there. So we get the story of Joshua and the conquest of the promised land, and God keeps saying, I think God says like 20 times, the land I have given you, this is your land, and it is still... Uh, that blessed promised land, and it still belongs to the Jews. It does not belong to the Palestinians. It is the Israelites' land. God gave it to them with Abraham. He gave it to them during Joshua's generation, and it is still their land. There's a reason why so many people want to fight over that land. There's more blood spilled in that land than anywhere else on the planet. It's because that's where God's heart is and is the most valuable place. I told you before, giants can live wherever they want. So you know where the giants live is the best place. And if you want the best place, you're going to have to fight big problems. You're going to have to overcome big problems to to get it. Joshua and the army, they conquer all the land, and then they begin to to parcel it out. Every family gets a specific inheritance. And in the books of Joshua and Judges in here, you get chapter after chapter of where the fences are. You get this family name, and their plot of land went from this river to that hill and down this line, and there's a stone there, and it comes over here, and that's their land. And, then, and it does it over and over and over again. If you want to read some boring parts of Scripture, I mean, because the people and the places mean nothing to us, but, like, I'm like, but God saw fit to put it in his eternal word because place matters. Land matters. Joshua obviously had to keep a record of the title deed of the family property, but God didn't have to put it in eternal scripture. But he did, because it matters, because it's their land for eternity. That family still owns that land in God's title deed book. It matters. And God says you can never sell it. You can never sell your family land. That's not a new covenant command for us. It's not wrong for you to sell your house and move. God's point there was this belongs to Israel. This is your land forever. This is your land, family land for perpetuity. And you, if you run into hard financial times, you may not sell your property because then your grandkids won't have anything to live on when they come along. Hello? All right, so God says you can never sell it because land matters. Place matters. Home matters. All right, leaving that story, we'll come back to it real quick, but leaving that story, I just want to point out some other examples of how a place matters so much to God. If we get to the New New Testament and the Gospels, I think every single story of Jesus tells us where it happened. He was on the road to this place when he met the woman at the well. He was on the road to this place when when the centurion comes up running up to him and he heals his servant. And he's in this city when he casts out this demon. And he's on this lake when he's walking on water. Every single story is Jesus did this at this place. Or this happened to Jesus at this place, like Bethany or whatever. And we get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is... These miracles happened in this town. 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 That's the book of Acts. Is place, 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 place. Place matters to God. The the land, the home, the place where it happened. And so I just drove that point home. And now let's make it personal. All right, here we go. So the New Testament says that if you are in Jesus Christ, then you are Abraham's child. 
Galatians chapter 3. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's children and heirs according to the promise. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you are not only bound for eternal life in heaven, you are Abraham's family and an heir of the promise. That doesn't mean the promise of salvation in Jesus, God's promise to Abraham. You are an inheritor of the land. Because God said, I will give you and all your descendants this land. Hello. You are an inheritor of the land. You have a place. God has a place for you. God has a home for you. He has a land for you to dwell in. But what nobody seems to have understood, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Joseph, none of them were wrong. They just seem to have missed this point, that Abraham never built a house. He lived in a tent all his life. He never owned land except for Sarah's tomb. Sarah's tomb is the only land Abraham only ever owned. He was a nomad moving around in tents, following his sheep and his goats. Isaac began to farm, so Isaac settled down in a place within that promised land and began to farm. You can't be a nomad if you're sowing crops. Then Jacob builds a house. And then Joseph lives in a palace. You see the progression? Son to son to son to son. But Abraham was a total nomad all of his life. He never had a house he just, and he never had a place. He never owned any of the property that God said, I've given it to you. He never owned or controlled or governed any of it. The reason Abraham didn't just like, oh yes, thank you God. I love this land. It wasn't because he was sneering God's gift. It was because of this. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham's heart was not in this world or even in this worldly things that God was giving him. This is not what I care about. I care about eternity. My home is in heaven. My home is in God. And yes, thank you God that my my children and great-grandchildren are going to inherit this land, but But my home, I want to live with you. That's great that you're giving me a promised land and a place to live, but my home is, I finally found where I belong, and it's in your presence. And I'm not saying Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua were wrong. Obviously, they weren't. It was all God. But but nobody else seemed to notice that what Abraham wanted was not desert land. It was heaven. It was eternity. So... If you're in Christ, you're an heir to Abraham's promise that God has a place for you, and that place is heaven. You are one of those grains of sand. God tells Abraham, you're going to have more children than sand on the seashore. And that doesn't mean just natural Jewish ethnic children. It's everyone who is in Christ is included, grafted in, Romans says, grafted in to Abraham. So you have an inheritance in God's promise in Abraham, and it is your home in heaven. But until then, he has a place for you to dwell, to live in, to stay. He has a home, a place of provision and protection and where your heart can live. It's a beautiful place. It's a good place. It's a place of blessing and life and abundance. I don't, every one of us, that's different. And I hope you understand I'm not talking about just where your body resides. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a, cir- a life circumstance. And he gets to assign it. Ask Jonah. Come on, God gets to assign your place. You don't get to pick. God gets to pick. Jonah proves it. But God always knows best. 
Because Jonah is like, God says go to Nineveh. Jonah thinks that's the last place where revival and prosperity and good things could be. I'm going to go to Spain. So he gets on a ship and takes off for Spain, and God turns him around. And when, when Jonah finally gets to the place that God has for him, what happens? Revival, salvation, miracles, even though it looked like the last place that would happen. Place matters. It might look like there's giant problems, but it's your promised land. You need to get in the place where God has you and where God tells you to be because it flows with milk and honey even if there are giant problems there. It is where the Holy Spirit is if you will move there. Place matters so much to God. As Jesus is ascending into heaven after the resurrection, he's floating up on the clouds. He tells Peter and the rest of the disciples, stay here in Jerusalem until something happens. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen, but you'll know it when it happens. It's the day of Pentecost, wind and fire and tongues, okay? But he doesn't tell them what it's going to look like. He doesn't tell them what it's going to He just says, stay here in this city. There are 500 people on the hilltop when he tells them that. And 50 days later, there are 150 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. 350 people didn't stay in the place Jesus told them to stay. And they missed it. You cannot take my sermon last week on the sovereignty of God and just say, well, God's going to do whatever God's going to do in my life. No, if you don't stay where he told you to stay, you're going to miss it. Hopefully that 350 came back in the crowd of 3,000. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know anything about them. But there's 350 of them that left, and they missed the upper room because Jesus said, stay there. Place matters. It really, really matters. So God has a place, he has a land, he has a home for you, he has a place that you can own, that you're responsible for, and that's, yes, it's your house, your address, um, it's this valley, but I'm not talking about just that, it's this church, this is your place, if this is your home church, this is your place, um, and it's your ministry, maybe your home is on the worship team, maybe your home is in the preschool classes, maybe your home is some other your home is the prayer meeting. Your home is, like, I know I'm supposed to live in this valley. I'm supposed to pray for Legrand. I'm supposed to walk the streets and the parking lots and talk to whoever I can find. This is, this is what I was made for. This is where I'm supposed to be. Amen. Amen. Your marriage is part of your place. Stay in your place. Uh, teenagers, your parents are your place. Don't leave your place. God gave you, them to you for a reason. Don't leave. Don't leave home. I don't mean don't move home when it's time. Just don't separate your mind and heart from your parents. Your job is part of your place. Maybe you know that, man, I, I, I know Oregon is in my heart. I'm praying for revival, for salvation for Oregon or America. Or you have missions is on your heart and there's a in general, or a specific people group. Like, this is my people. This is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, this is home. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is my, my land, is this language group, this people. Whether you're praying for them from here or actually moving off to the mission field, you've got to find your place. You've got to be where God has for you, even if it looks like a desert. Hello. Stay in your marriage if it looks like a desert. Stay with your kids even if they look like a desert. 
stay in a church, even if it looks like a desert. Come on. So I want to take those stories, and I just want to make it personal to you and, and, and give you some word of the Lord here. So Abraham, God comes to Abram when he's living in the, what is now the north of Iraq in a large city. Everybody there speaks his language. It's his heritage. It's his family. It's his people. There's water there, and there's crops, and there's commerce, and there's everything. And God says, I'm taking you away from it all. I'm going to move you out in the desert. God may, from time to time, change your place. And the move may not always be positive. Uh, up front. It may, not, it may not look all that positive. Um, it is totally possible that you, in previous seasons of your life, you have known exactly where you were supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, and you feel like you're firing on all cylinders, and life's just moving along, and then all of a sudden, boom, like nothing works, or everything goes wrong, or I don't know. I don't understand why all this change is happening. I don't understand why these I don't know, may, could be, I don't, I'm not saying it is in every case, but it could be God has a move for you to make. It's like all of a sudden home doesn't feel like home anymore. And I don't know where I'm going, but God will show me when I get there. Amen? You've had a ministry you've been involved in, it's always been super fulfilling and fruitful, and then all of a sudden God just changes it. Like, God, I don't want to start over and learn something new. I want to keep doing what I've always been doing. He may move you off in a desert and say, plow this land. It'll be a while before some crops grow. But you're going to plow it. Hello? Listen, Abraham, I said before, Abraham could have said, I'm going to go back to what's familiar. He could have said, God, this is no gift. I don't want to live in Turkey. I, I want to live in where it's lush and green and where the living's easy. But Abraham planted himself where God told him to be. Even though he never had a home there, it became his son's home. And even though it was rough and dry and lifeless and no, no crops, no harvest, hear the word harvest, no harvest for him, it was harvest for his son. Because Isaac planted and reaped a hundredfold harvest. Like you stick out a deserty marriage because your kids will prosper. You stick out a deserty church. Because your kid, it's your inheritance from God, if you stick it out, becomes their home. I have no idea how to count how many people have come through this church in the past, even before I was pastor, but since then to couples and families, and, and they stay for a while, and, and then they leave, and they don't go to a different church. They just, they just leave and quit serving the Lord because they got bored or because they didn't, weren't really serious about their Christianity. Oh, but a lot of times it's offense. It's real hurt. Or it's like this, this church is lifeless and boring and I'm not getting fed. And, and then they, 20 years later, they're like, well, we're still Christians, but you look at their kids and grandkids and they're not at all. Because mom and dad didn't stay where God planted them. Generations of family are now not walking with God. Stick it out, folks. Stay put, even when it's hard. Because your inheritance from God, where God gives you, even when it's deserty, becomes your kid's home. Becomes your kid's prosperity. And I don't just mean money. Maybe your situation is not like Isaac or Abraham. Maybe you identify more with Hagar. Her master not only owned her as a slave, but he used her to produce a son for himself, which was totally legal and not even considered immoral in those days. And I'm not even saying that it was. It's just let's not judge 
something from the ancient world based on our standards. But she has produced the only son for her master, so she ranks above everybody else. In fact, she was even snooty to Sarah, who is her mistress, because I have produced a son for him and you have not. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, in an afternoon, rejection, kick her out, lost home, her son loses his dad, everything changes. And she says she wandered in the wilderness. So maybe that's your identity. It wasn't God that called you out somewhere and you had to choose whether to obey or not, but because of the circumstances of your life, you went from kicking right along to all of a sudden, like, I don't know where I'm at and life is, is deserty and nothing and it's rejection and it's pain and it's loss and, it's, and then they ran out of water and it says she put him under a bush and cannot stand to hear him cry while he dies of dehydration in the desert. And it says, God opened her eyes and she saw a well. It was there the whole time, folks. There is always a well no matter where you're at. God always has provided a well ahead of time. Somebody had gone before and dug that well. Who knows how old it was, but it was there out in the desert. And because she is in such distress, she doesn't see it because she's full of pain and rejection and panic and whatever else, there's always, always a well, somewhere. So if you don't see it in your circumstances right now, like, God, this person wronged me, this happened, this didn't happen, whatever, I, I am wandering in the wilderness and I am going to die. Ask God to open your eyes. Where is the provision even in this place? Where is the well? This is not the place I wanted to be. It's not the place I should be. It's not the place I deserve to be, but it's where I'm at. God, I have to see where the life is. Show me where the water is. He will preserve your life. And then she and and Ishmael stayed there. They stayed in the wilderness because that's where God provided them water. That's where he grew up. I don't know what that means, but, but he did. They stayed where God had provided for them. There's always a hidden well for you. Some of you, um, you know where God wants you to be. You know what business he wants you to build or what ministry he wants you to start or something else. But you look at that and like there's giants in that land. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to fight giants. I don't want big problems. I just want to live a nice, easy, happy life. I told you before, giants live where the best things are. So if you want the best things and God wants the best things for you, you're going to have to fight big problems. You're going to have to fight those giants. You don't chicken out. God took it personal. I said God took it personal that they they chickened out. He's like, you're not going to fight the giants. I am. I told you. I would go before you and I've given you this land. Don't chicken out just because there's big problems. Do what God has said to do. Be where he has told you to be doing what he's given you to do because that land is full of milk and honey. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. That's why the giants live there, because it's good. Go for it. got to be where the Spirit tells you to be. He's not going to tell you necessarily what's going to happen. He's just going to tell you where to be. And your provision is in that land, but you have to sow in order to harvest. You can't just say, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen and God's going to take care of me. You have to give him something to work with. No farmer went out and plowed his field and then didn't put any seed in the ground and said, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. No, you're a moron. 
You have to give God something to work with. You put your seed in the ground, and then God will be going to do what he's going to do. Right? You have to give. You have to take the step of faith. The farmer who's putting his seed in the ground, that's his food. Right? The wheat or the corn or whatever, that's food. Or I can give it up and let it die, and it will reproduce. You have to give up something that means something to you, something that will actually sustain you. So you have to make the step of faith and volunteer for that ministry, even though it's a commitment of your time or your money or your sweat equity or I don't know how to do this and I'm going to have to learn or I'm going to have to invest in this business or whatever. It's like God isn't going to drop a successful business in your lap. You're going to have to put some money on the line. Buy some inventory. Rent the building. I don't know what it is. You got to give him something to work with. You have to sow in order to reach, reap a harvest. You cannot just stand by and say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. If it's his will, it'll happen. No. You plant, and if it's his will, it'll happen. You plant the seed, and if it's his will, it'll happen. And you, you just, you have to obey God. That's all there is to it. We have to obey God. We have to be where he says to be, doing what he says to do, or we get in big trouble. You know the story of David and Bathsheba. He's up on the roof of his palace, and he looks down, and there's a lower building down there, and on the roof is a naked woman bathing. And he takes her, and she gets pregnant, and then he has to kill her husband because uh, he can't let the husband know. And it all started, the first line of the first sentence is, in the time when kings went out to war, David stayed home. He was in the wrong place, which doesn't seem like anything all that immoral, but it ends in disaster. He's just in the wrong place. He just made a lazy decision. And that's what it ends up in. Again, ask Jonah if, if, you know, you better be in the right place doing what God gives you to do. Ask Lot. Lot made the selfish decision. I want that really good land. First of all, he just wants the good land where it's good pasture. Any good businessman is going to do that. But then it says he pitched his tent near Sodom. Then we find living in Sodom. We find that he has four daughters, and the oldest two have, are married to men of Sodom. They just married the boys they grew up and went to school with. But they never should have known those boys because dad made a selfish decision. The whole family should not be living in this town. So when God is going to rain down fire and burn everybody and destroy them, the angel comes and he gets Lot and his wife and the two youngest unmarried daughters. But Lot loses his older two daughters and all their kids because of something stupid he did 30, 40 years ago, he made the wrong decision and he's in the wrong place with the wrong people. Be where God told you to be, doing what he told you to do, because it's good, even if it's desert. It will preserve you. His, his, his blessing is, is on you. If you will obey him, go anywhere, do anything, make any changes you need to make, because Psalm 16 says this, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. The New King James says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. My God, the boundaries you put around my life, it's good, it's sweet. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my church. Thank you for this room of people that we get to live life with and serve you with. Lord, you have given me pleasant boundaries. Thank you for my land. Amen.